0: Good morning, church. Glad you can be with us on this beautiful day that the Lord has made. As Thomas Paine famously said, these are the times that try men's souls. Although we're not facing a war on our own soil like he was, this pandemic is stretching us in many ways. As I planned our musical worship, I was drawn to songs that focus on God's sovereignty and His ability and desire to care for us. So as we worship, let's do it with these words from Psalm 61. Marcy.
1: Oh God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I cry to You for help. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the towering rock of safety. For you are my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings.
2: There is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears. you meet us in our morning, with a love that casts out fear, you are working in our waiting, you're sanctifying us. To prosper,
3: you've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign. Rise and thunders roar. I will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are King of the flood.
4: It's Pastor Scott, time for our time of corporate prayer together to unite our hearts in prayer as we come to the throne of grace, uh, united as a church family. Um, I'd like to draw our attention to Psalm 46 as we go through our prayer time this morning where um, the psalm writer writes, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Lots of great truths in that passage of scripture that will minister to our hearts as we pray them back to God uh, in this uh, season that we're experiencing in our country, in our community, and in our world. So please join with me as I pray some of these thoughts. And then I have two categories to suggest for us uh, that you might uh, pray in your homes, in your small groups, or individuals uh, that pertain specifically to our own local church. Please join with me as I pray through Psalm 46. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that your word tells us that you are our refuge and strength. We thank you, Lord, that you are always present to help us, no matter what the trouble is that we face. I, Lord, thank you that we need not fear. It appears, Lord, as though everything is falling apart. It appears that though our, our lives are falling apart. It, it seems like life as we know it may never come back, and it may not. But we thank you, Lord, that even though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea and the, the waters of storms and waves crush in on us, we know, Lord, that you are within us and that you will not allow us to fall Thank you, Lord, that you are our help, that even though nations surround us are falling and that our nation is appearing to be unstable, we thank you, Lord, that your voice is there to remind us that you are God Almighty and that you are the God of Jacob, personal God, and that you are our fortress. Lord, these truths are a tremendous encouragement to us. And we lay hold of them in faith, knowing that you will ring them true as we walk with you by faith. I'd like to ask you now to take some time in your small groups in your homes to pray for the Evangelical Free Church, for the churches in our district in Wisconsin as well as particularly for our seminary and college, Trinity International University, as they are planning and uh, strategizing for uh, their uh, time of welcoming students back to their campus this fall. So let's pray for our free churches and let's pray for our university um, uh, as they have uh, planning for this fall. now I'd like to ask us to specifically pray for the planning for Pastor Tim Byer and Vanessa to come and join with us on May 15th through 17th. Our search team and a technical advisory team has been hard at work to put together a very meaningful experience for us. So let's pray for all those details and let's pray for a very meaningful experience as Pastor Tim and Vanessa come in just a few short weeks. As we think about uh, entering into our time when we consider our giving, our stewardship, our discipline of giving to the Lord's work, if you're like my wife and I, um, maybe you are planning on a monthly schedule for your giving. And since this is the first Sunday of the month, this might be a time for you to consider how God would have you to contribute to the Lord's work. I'd like to... uh, Encourage you to think through with me the words of the Apostle Paul as he gives us guidance on that area. Reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, that's what we're going through, isn't it? Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. There's no such thing as a compel a compulsion to give, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. That's our responsibility in stewardship, isn't it? giving ourselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us through a contribution financially. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier been beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything in faith and speech in knowledge in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving." God bless you as you consider your opportunity to worship the Lord and excel in the grace of giving. We have three ways that you can contribute to our ministry. The first is listed on our webpage. You can give online through our webpage. You can also give us a text, and as you put in the text number, you can click Give. Or you can mail your contribution through snail mail to our office, and we will receive it with gratitude. Now, Lord, thank you for the privilege you've given us to give. Thank you for the abundant way that you've provided for our church. And, Lord, I pray that you would bless both the gift and the giver as we contemplate and follow through on our worship of giving to your Lord's work. In Jesus' name, amen.
5: Well, hi, everybody. This is Greg and Mary Jo Schenke. We're back uh, from Florida, actually for good. We sold our house down there because... We want to spend more times up in the Northwoods with our church family and our kids, our grandkids, And we love it up here. It's not that I don't like warm weather a couple months out of the year, but we want to be here more often. So, we're glad to be here and we're glad to be able to share with you. Um, Just, we're looking forward to getting back together and you know actually i want to share this with you mary joe got me this for my birthday and it's a beautiful science is therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself each day has enough trouble of its own and isn't that the truth uh in the life in the times right now it's easy to get anxious but don't be anxious he cares for us if he cares for the birds he'll care for us
6: i miss everybody and as my sister-in-law always used to say this too shall pass and i believe it so looking forward to seeing you all soon
0: god bless you Bye. hello to all our church friends trust all is well with you all
6: hi this is Nona, and this is ed uh, we're so glad to be able to say hi to all of you we just think of all of our friends and love you so much and pray that you're well we're doing well and we pray that you are too that you're keeping a peace in your heart through the Lord. You know, this is such a a strange time to go through, but interesting. I keep thinking of a song that the National Christian Choir sings. I never heard it through anyone else, and it's Trust the Heart of the Savior. When you don't understand the purpose of His plans, trust His heart. We pray that you all be doing that, and before long, we'll all be together. Happy Spring. This is one of the rainy
0: days of spring but
6: we need those too love you all hi hello church family um we miss you tremendously uh this has been a real test for all of us but we're all growing in different ways and
7: there's a lot of good that is going to come out of this so can't wait to see you all thank you bob and Sherilyn, for coming out and seeing us we live way out in the boonies (laughs) And uh, that was very nice. I, I want to read a scripture from Romans, chapter 12, verse 12, um, that I think is appropriate for the situation that we're in. Uh, and uh, since I find it, it goes like this: "Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. faithful in prayer. share with God's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. Now that last one might be a little bit hard to uh, practice, um, but actually hospitality doesn't have to necessarily be physical. In the uh, physical realm, we can call our friends and family, and we do a lot of that. And today, in, in today's technology, uh, we're doing Skype, Zoom, yeah. FaceTime, uh, and we really feel connected with um, our grandkids and our kids, and uh, that makes us happy. Yeah. So. Uh, we love you all and uh, we're thankful for our church family and looking forward to seeing you God bless you. Woo, that was a hot one wow you caught us in the sauna my name is Bill Pletz
6: and I'm Joan Pletz and whoa it's cold out here this is April sauna time We love the sauna and um, it's not unusual for us to uh, enjoy it in the winter months, but this year we're enjoying it even in April. So we thought we'd share our our little sauna with you. If you've never had a sauna, give us a call, try it out, it's nice and hot. We have the kind that has the rocks and you pour the water over, so it's a fun time and um, we look forward to getting back to church and having time with everybody again um you know i haven't made coffee there for a long time and i'm missing that uh and we look forward to not only being with friends but also continuing with our bible studies and we're using zoom like a lot and and i'd like to just thank eon for setting it up for us and getting our bible study going with uh, that method. So it's really great. So you have a great day. We we know we will because we're yep. nice and warm after being in the sauna.
0: Joan is uh, Finnish and Welch descent. Uh, we've always had saunas in the family and her dad was the one that started it. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Church. The search committee has been busy planning for a virtual senior pastor candidating experience with Tim Beyer. This event will happen on May 15th through 17th. It will be conducted primarily using Zoom, which is a software program that allows video and audio conferencing for large numbers of people, and it also allows people to participate by telephone. There will be at least two opportunities to meet Pastor Tim and his wife, Vanessa, in an informal setting via Zoom where well, you can ask them questions and get them get to know them a bit. We'll try to make these like a small group meet and greet session that we would normally hold if we could gather in person. One will be on Friday evening and the other on Saturday morning. On Sunday, Tim will preach in our online service that will be accessible by normal means, which is Facebook and our website and also by Zoom. After the service at 10:45 there will be a formal question and answer session with Tim and Vanessa conducted on Zoom only. Church members will be sent instructions on how to vote on calling Pastor Tim as our next senior pastor. Instructions on how to access these Zoom meetings will be sent by email or regular mail to everyone who is a regular attender of our church. This will include instructions on how to access and test Zoom if you've never used it. There will also be a test run about a week before the Candidating Weekend where everyone can test their ability to connect by computer or phone, and we can update you with the latest information about the upcoming weekend. This is an exciting time, and we're working hard to overcome the challenges of conducting a Candidating Event using these virtual means. We are trusting that the Lord will help us all to get an adequate sense of the heart and soul of Tim and his family through the experiences that we're providing. Please do continue to pray for Tim and his family and for the search committee and all those working to make the technology work and for this next chapter of our church body. Thank you all for
8: your support. I feel like Evangelical Free Church. I am Tim Buyer. I'm your pastor candidate. I'd like to take a minute here to say hi before we get the chance to meet virtually in a couple of weeks during our candidateing weekend. I know you got to see a video of my wife Vanessa and I a couple of weeks ago and you get to hear a little bit about us and a little bit about w- why we're excited about the possibility of coming to Three Lakes, but today I want to tell you a little bit more about really what it is that draws us to Three Lakes. So one of the first things that has been appealing to us about the possibility of coming to Three Lakes is just the location of Three Lakes. Um, so I, as I grew up in Wisconsin, just outside of Appleton, uh, it's been Born and raised there, spent the first 23 years of my life in Wisconsin. Um, even though we spent the last eight years in different states, um, still love Wisconsin. My heart still bleeds green and gold. Um, and just except about the possibility of being in a place where I don't have to defend my Packer fandom at every turn. And so, to t- set about the possibility of being back in Wisconsin. Also excited about the possibility of being in the Northwoods, in in particular. Spent a fair amount of time of my in my life there. Um, as a kid, my dad worked out at Eagle River for a while and so he really came to love the North Woods, um, the chance to be out in creation and also to be part of kind of smaller towns. Which leads me to the second reason we're excited about the possibility of coming to Three Lake, which is just a sense of community that's possible in a smaller town. I shared a little bit in our last video about how I feel like God's been working in my life to point me towards um, smaller town ministry is being the thing that we're called to um and one of the ways he's done that is really instilling in me a deep desire to plant roots deeply in a community and to be in a place where we can know other than to be known um so i'm excited about coming to three lakes evangelical free church and being part of the community there and fostering community there but i'm also excited about the possibility of um just being a part of the Broader Three Lake community and really investing in that community. I just think churches have a great opportunity to make impact and draw people to Jesus in smaller towns, which kind of leads to the third point, um, and that is that I'm really excited about the vision of Three Lake Evangelical Free Church. I think the way you've articulated your vision aligns with how I see the church being effective in smaller towns. And so when I, I remember when I read um, your vision statement when I first kind of looking through information about your church considering whether to pursue this opportunity. I remember reading that vision statement and your desire to be simple and intentional and missional um, and attractive and just um irresistible. And just really read that and thought this is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And so I yeah, I just read that and was really excited about that so I just really think that their a unique opportunity with that kind of vision to impact the community of Three Lakes, and I'm just really excited about the vision of Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. And then the final reason that I'm excited about the possibility of coming to Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church to be your next pastor is just the people, right? Obviously, I obviously haven't met many of you yet, but I have had a chance to meet the search committee and many of their spouses and the board and um, Pastor Ian and Cammie and a few others of you, and just the people I've met so far, any indications of what the people are like at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. It just like You're a great church of a great group of people. And so the idea of coming to be your pastor and a minister alongside you in Three Lakes is just really appealing to me. Um, and so, like I said, we're excited to meet you personally, uh, virtually, in a couple weeks here at our Kennedy Weekend. And hopefully meet you in person in a couple weeks. Uh, but in the meantime, just know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your church. And we're excited um, for what the future holds for us. God bless.
1: This reading is taken from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, beginning from verse 6. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while he will restore support and strengthen you and he will place you on a firm foundation all power to him forever amen
2: Lord I come
3: you
4: It's my joy now to bring you a message from God's Word as we continue through our series in the book of Colossians. Uh, We took a little break from Colossians over the last several weeks for the Easter season. Uh, Next Sunday, we'll also take a break from Colossians as we consider a Mother's Day message. But this week, I'm going to return back to our series in Colossians which you remember I titled The Christian Life in a Culture of Religious Pluralism. And today the title of my message is Modern Day Phariseism," and it's taken from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. Please join me in prayer as I open God's Word. Father, now as we contemplate your Word, I pray that you would guard and guide our minds and our hearts, as we contemplate the scriptural principles that Paul gave to us as he wrote to the church at Colossae. Use your word to honor Jesus, to further his gospel. And I pray, Lord, that you would protect your word and apply it just where you want it to be applied in our lives as we come to you now humbly in submission to the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm very interested in this idea of transformation. And by that I mean the process of Christian growth and maturity. Not only in knowledge, learning more things, which is important, but I'm really concerned in producing the fruit of Christian maturity. And I call that transformation. Transformation of our behaviors. Transformation of our attitudes transformation of our emotional maturity i'm concerned about the way that christians deal with the temptations and trials that we face i'm concerned with the grace and servanthood that we exhibit in our relationships and i think the bible talks about transformation of the christian's life relating to all of these categories in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul specifically mentions that we are not to be conformed to the world, but that we are to be transformed. And that word transformed is a word that describes the process of a caterpillar that weaves a cocoon around itself. And then after a series of time, it emerges from that cocoon, transformed from a caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly. There is a change And I would suggest to you that that change is something that God promises in the life of a believer. The Bible gives us great encouragement that as we come to Christ in faith, that as we experience the the time of being born again, that there will be change in our behavior. It doesn't happen all at once. It's a gradual step-by-step change, but change there is. And we call that change transformation in the Christian life. So today I'd like to introduce to us some elements of the process of transformation. And I'm going to go to Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul writes, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, but their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in, and here's transformation, restraining sensual indulgence. I suggest that transformation is implied with that last phrase in verse 23, restraining sensual indulgence. What is sensual indulgence? What is indulging in sensual things? Well, I would suggest it's indulging in the appetites of our, of our sensual life. It's indulging in the appetite of sexual desire inappropriately. Pornography, or fornication, or having an extramarital affair, indulging in those things. That's an appetite. And indulging in those things is something that we have to be uh, aware of in life. Indulgence in sensual appetites is uncontrolled consumptions of food or drink. It's, it's sitting down on a couch and eating a whole, a whole half gallon of ice cream <laughs> or, or drinking too much so that a person uh, becomes inebriated. Uh, that's indulging in that appetite a lack of self-control of emotions like having your anger out of control or other things that are just running rampant in our lives behaviors like pride and and jealousy and greed that run our lives paul says paul says we need to restrain those indulgences and to experience transformation means that a christian will be changed so that these sensual indulgences are restrained. While we never become sinless, we can, through transformation, from one degree to the next, sin less. That's Christian transformation. I believe that's a promise of God that each one of us can experience as we walk with Jesus. So how do we experience Christian transformation? Well, our text gives us a negative principle and our text gives us a positive principle. A negative principle is these things won't help transformation. It doesn't help to do these things, so don't do them. But then, Paul says, these things will help, so do these things. So, let's discuss the principles that Paul gives us relative to this journey that every Christian is on in biblical behavior transformation. First, what does not help nurture Christian transformation? Verse 23 says, A lifestyle of keeping religious rules and regulations does not help transformation specifically right out of the text it says these things lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence these things rules and regulations lack value in promoting transformation he lists some of them one self-imposed worship that is worship that we choose ourselves but we only choose it because we impose it on ourselves. A worship that we choose only because we feel we have to choose it. A worship that we choose because some teacher tells us that we have to do it. We have to attend church. We have to participate in this ritual. We have to uh, identify ourselves in this process. In order to please God, we have to follow certain prescriptions. The term self-imposed worship is reality, an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in itself. Anything that is imposed, that we might call worship, is not worship at all. Because worship is something that comes from the heart. Worship that's self-imposed that we choose to do because we feel compelled to do it, is simply going through the motions. Such behavior, Paul says, will do nothing to promote and nurture transformation. Further, submitting to rules and regulations promotes a false humility that comes from harsh treatment of the body. Any type of behavior that we do, that sacrificially arranges our schedule around rigorous religious activity is what Paul is talking about here. The harsh treatment of the body. Self-denial through rigorous prayer and fasting. Not because we're burdened to pray, but rather because some teacher told us we had to or some religious system requires that we pray and fast. And then Paul says, when we do that, it's real easy to get all self-built up with false humility and get proud of ourselves for how humble we are and how submissive we are to these rules. Unfortunately, this type of behavior, this type of ritual, religious activity, does nothing to restrain sensual indulgence. I was reading Psalm 32 recently. And I'd like to draw your attention to a passage in Psalm 32. This is a very famous psalm where David is talking about the relief he feels from guilt because of the sin that he committed with Bathsheba when he came and practiced joyful repentance before God. And in this passage, he tells us and warns us about... um, keeping rules and thinking that that will help our transformation. He says in verse 9, he says, Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by a bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Now you think about a horse or a mule that are stubborn and they don't want to come to you. So you put a bit in their mouth You put a bridle around their neck and then you yank on them and force them to come to you. See, that's what, that's what rules and regulations and ritual and false worship and self imposed worship and false humility, that's what all this does. That's what rules and regulations and religious activity is. It's just a bridle around our mouth and it just, forces us to do what we otherwise would not do. Paul categorically tells us that does nothing to help our development spiritually. It does nothing to bring about transformation. That's the principle to avoid. Well, then Paul tells us this is what does help. This is what does help. I want to introduce what does help from this passage with a quote from John Newton. And you know John Newton is the author of Amazing Grace. Oh, he understood the grace of God in in a great way. And here's what John Newton suggests. He says, You may be able to compel people to maintain a certain minimum standard by stressing duty. But the highest moral and spiritual achievements depend not upon a push, but upon a pull. People must be charmed into righteousness. Don't you love that? People must be charmed into righteousness. Rather than under the yoke of obligation to rules and rituals, people are charmed into righteousness. Thus far in our study of Colossians, we discovered that Paul's teaching describes that charm. In chapter 1, Paul described a vital walk with Jesus that comes from faith and love for others, that produces the grace and fruit based on a certain hope of heaven. That's the charm of God. In chapter 2, We learn that the life that comes in receiving Jesus as Lord and recommitting ourselves to following after him, renewing our relationship with him, promotes life and vitality and a love for Jesus. A heart that wants to worship him and loves to be with him. That's the charm of the gospel. And then in chapter 2, verses 13 and 15, Paul reminds us of great truth that is like a cool drink of water in the desert on a hot, sunny sun beating down on us. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. He says, "...when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins." Canceling the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The charm of the gospel. You see, that's what promotes transformation. But some from the church at Colossae were convinced that they were doing God a favor by improving on God's good news, improving on the charm that that Paul talks about. So they added religious rules and regulations, things that do not help nurture transformation. They give you an image to think about. I would suggest to you that any Christian who follows a teacher or a system that promotes the observance of religious rules and regulations, thinking that it will nurture transformation, that person is an unsuspecting victim. Oh, they're sincere people who really want to please God but their efforts are totally unnoticed by God because they ignore the charm. They ignore walking with Jesus in love. They ignore the joyful relationship we have with Him as we experience His life living through us. And they ignore the refreshing power of the gospel of grace that comes through faith. Instead, They've adopted a contrived bill of goods, such as a Christian must read this translation of the Bible and not that translation of the Bible. That's contrived. A Christian can listen to this type of music, but not that type of music. A Christian boy or man can style his hair one way, but not another. Can have his hair this length, but not that length. A Christian girl or woman has to wear a dress and never wear slacks. And they can wear this dress, but not that dress. Do you see, see the burden that that creates in a person's life? Paul says, that will do nothing. That will do nothing to nurture transformation. Instead, Paul tells us these counsel. Look at verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, a celebration, or a Sabbath day. It's an unnecessary burden to submit to those who judge you for not keeping their rules. Jesus spent a portion of the Sermon on the Mount dealing with the Pharisees who stood in judgment over him and his followers for not keeping their rules, was for really a misunderstanding, a misrepresentation, and in many cases, an addition to the law of God from the Old Testament. And so they stood in judgment over Jesus and his disciples. Jesus spent a lot of time correcting them when he said, You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, Jesus says, Paul says in verse 16, you don't have to submit to those people who judge you. That just sucks the joy and the delight and the charm from the Christian life. And further in verse 18, Paul says this, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility or the worship of angels disqualify you. That word disqualify means pronouncing God's judgment upon you as if anybody has the right to do that. In Colossae, the religious rules and regulations confronting the Christians came from two sources. The first source came from the Old Testament itself. Verse 16 talks about... um, what you eat or drink, food laws. Talks about religious festivals. Talks about Sabbath days. This is referring to the Old Testament law of Moses. What do we do with those laws? Well, Jesus answered that question in the Sermon on the Mount when he says that he has come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life, and in his death and resurrection, he met every obligation laid down by the law, and he fulfilled every one of them. Then in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, we learn that the writer tells us that Jesus inaugurates a new covenant, Listen to what he says in verse 15 of chapter 9. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. See, the old covenant was never meant to be permanent. It was always looking forward to one, Jesus, who would establish a new covenant. And Jesus did when he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. The writer goes on says, Those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that Jesus has died as a ransom and set us free. See, we're set free from the old covenant. And Jesus establishes a new covenant. This does not apply to some of the old covenant. It applies to all. Of the Old Covenant. All of its rules. All of its regulations. All of its do's and don'ts. But you see, the Colossians were not only confronted with the religious distortion promoted by not understanding how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law,
8: they were also
4: confronted with religious rules and regulations that were totally disconnected from the Bible at all. Verse 18 tells us that they were confronted with a demand to worship angels, (laughs) calling on spirit beings other than God for protection and guidance. Boy, we see that in our culture today, don't we? Easily it could refer to occult practices, New Age channeling, um, psychic aberration, speaking with the dead. We are told that's where you'll find meaning in life. Paul says, that's, that's nonsense. Then he says in verse 18, he says, people are trying to tell you to submit to the imaginations of their, their creative unspiritual minds. These are people who think up all types of spiritual scenarios like, like tapping into the power of the universe and speak into the universe, and whatever you speak into the universe will come true. Where did that come from? Someone is very creative to come up with some type of nonsense like that. Eastern meditation says, empty your mind and then see what comes into you. Boy, don't ever do that. The Bible says we fill our minds and we meditate on the truth of God's word that we fill our minds. Then verses 21 tells us, there's disciplines of the world. Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. You see, Paul says instead of being enslaved to a system of rules and false teachers, Paul presents the biblical, gracious life that expands the charm of what he wrote in chapters 1 and 2, now he adds to the charm. In verse 17, he talks about being nurtured in the reality of relationship with Jesus. He said those Old Testament laws are merely a shadow of what is to come. And so rather than than living in the shadow, we need to walk in the reality of, of a relationship with Jesus Verse 18, he talks about being nurtured and staying connected to the head of the body of Christ. The Christian champion, the preeminent Jesus who is preeminent over everything, who who encompasses the fullness of God and who gives us his fullness. And then verse 20, we are to be nurtured by reflecting on the truth that we are united with Jesus in his death and therefore united with him in his resurrection so that we experience him in all that he gives to us in life. That's what promotes and nurtures transformation. And then Paul says these wonderful verses back in chapter 1 when he says this. In chapter 1, verses 11 to 14. This is, this is a beautiful passage where he says, We are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we have great endurance and patience and having joyful thanks to the Father who qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. You see, God doesn't call us to earn his grace by the burden of keeping rules and regulations. Rather, he gives us life. He says, For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. All this comes as a gift from the Father. So how can I summarize Biblical transformation as outlined in these verses. Here's something maybe you can remember and take away from this message. A biblical walk with Christ that nurtures transformation is a life of spiritual freedom in Christ. Spiritual freedom in Christ. We are not obligated to submit to obsolete rules that have been fulfilled in Christ. We are not obligated to submit to false teachers who try to impose rituals and regulations upon us. They don't work in accomplishing transformation anyway. Instead we are invited into a gracious life of true fulfillment in our relationship with Jesus. The freedom of walking with Christ, which does bring transformation, which does restrain sensual indulgence. Now I want to clarify. Paul is not teaching that we are free to do whatever we want to do, to set our own guidelines, to follow whatever seems best in our own situation. That's basically the definition of sensual indulgence. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Do not use our freedom as a way to indulge our sensual appetites. See, we are free from the obsolete Old Testament rules. We're free from man-made spiritual, spiritism rules. But we are not free to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, out of love for Jesus, we are captivated with the law of Christ. Now, I want to introduce this idea this morning and then I'll unpack it more tomorrow in our bible study that I'll con- that I'll conduct on tomorrow. So you want to be sure to tune in tomorrow and I'll unpack this idea more. But here's an introduction to it. Out of love for Jesus we are captivated with the law of Christ and Paul tells us what that is in Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. There's a law of Christ. Now, if you've been really thinking about what we've been talking about from Colossians chapter 2, you know the law of Christ is a lot different from what the what the the false teachers in Colossae were putting on. He says that the law of Christ is totally different from those burdens. And Paul explains it And I'll unpack this more tomorrow from Romans chapter 8. Through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. The law of the Spirit of Christ has set you free. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. That happened over Easter. So he condemned sin in the flesh, sensual indulgence, in order that the righteous requirement of the law, Jesus fulfilled the law, might be fully met in us who are in Christ who do not live according to the flesh, sensual indulgence, but live according to the Spirit. That's the law of Christ. And that's living by the law of Christ replaces the Old Testament law of rules and regulations. So here's the punchline. Once we understand to begin living the law of Christ walking in the fullness of the Spirit of Christ. Again, I'll unpack this more tomorrow. But once we understand this, then we can enter back into the study of God's Old Testament law. And when we do, we're in awe of the wisdom of the law. We can appreciate it. It's not a burden. It's a delight. Because the Old Testament law reveals God's holiness. <laughs> it reveals the, the treasure, the, the, the way that we can walk with God in a way that promotes life and, and we love God's law because we're not approaching it as a burden of rules and regulations, we're approaching it through the law of Christ. And we can even practice the spiritual disciplines that participate in rituals and liturgies of this day. We can do special liturgical services. We can take a weekend retreat and pray and fast. Not because we have to, but because we are walking with the law of Christ, the Spirit of God in the law of Christ, and we are drawn then through those disciplines into an intimate fellowship with God. And we join the fellowship of the sufferings and self-denial of Jesus and thereby experience walking with him in a brand new way, delighting in who he is. Not self-imposed, not false humility, not a burden of ritual and we have to. Rather in the freedom that comes in understanding and walking in the law of Christ. Oh, I I could teach on these things for days. Actually, I'm going to next week. (laughs) I'm going to teach tomorrow night on what it means to have our, uh, on how the Christian's responsibility to the Old Testament law is. And then how we can fulfill that responsibility in understanding and applying the law of Christ, walking in the Spirit of Christ. That's Monday night. Then on Wednesday, I'm going to discuss how to nurture a healthy conscience. Which frequently limits our freedom. Because people say, well I just don't know Scott, if I can, if I can be as free as you're talking about, do I really have that freedom? Well that's because we don't understand how to nurture a healthy conscience. The Bible gives us tremendous guidance on how to build and nurture a healthy conscience so that we can enter into the freedom and be free from obligations and burdens of law. Of course, we also need to be aware of a lack of conscience, which then gives us license to go and do all sorts of indulgence of the sinful flesh. So that's Wednesday how to nurture a strong, biblical, healthy conscience. That has tremendous implication on how to walk in freedom. And then on Friday, I'll help us navigate the complicated and often drama-filled process of getting along with our fellow believers in the body of Christ who want to express their freedom in a way that we don't think we can express freedom. People who might disagree with us on areas that are non-essential areas. How do we get along when, with, with people who might be free in one area, but we're not free in that area? What do we do with that? And then, how do we deal with the responsibility we have to those the New Testament calls the weaker brother? And how do we avoid causing them to stumble? That's on Friday this next week. I'm sure that maybe you got from me today that I am totally convinced that it's possible to experience biblical transformation. It is. It does not happen by imposing rules and regulations. Paul could not be more clear. Rather, it happens by walking in the life filled with the Spirit, the law of Christ, which Paul outlines the charming presentation that he gives us all the way through Colossians chapters 1 and 2. And we'll discuss how this transformation unfolds in our lives as we get more specific this next week. Talking about the relationship of the law Old Testament and applying the law of Christ. Understanding, developing a healthy conscience. And then understanding how to get along with each other in the body of Christ when we might not agree on areas of freedom. Should be an interesting week. I hope you'll join me. Father in heaven, now bless your word and bless each one of us as we grapple with applying practically in our own lives. What does it mean to experience transformation from one degree to the next, becoming more and more like Jesus until that day comes when we reach up to heaven and you grab our hand and pull us into glory. Oh, we look forward to that day. Give us your grace until it happens for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.